Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. For those of you visiting us today, uh, we, it's our practice to preach through books of the Bible. And so my next sermon is just going to be the next text of the passage. So it also protects me because if I'm suddenly preaching on wives, I have to submit to their husbands that my own wife doesn't think I'm rebuking her in the mother's room. Um, but also that we believe that all scripture is profitable and worthy of our study. And um, so today we are diving into the family code or the, the family section of Ephesians and um, about what it looks like to be a family, a Christian family before the Lord. And we're really going to take our time here. We're going to do one sermon for the wives, two sermons for the husbands, three sermons for the children. Okay, so that's how we're going to we're going to go like that. It's going to, it's going to escalate. Okay. But, um, but, I, but my, my desire with these sermons is really to equip you. I, I want you to understand what these texts mean, but also to be able to go home and be able to do it and to be able to live it out as well. But let's read now the text together. And we'll read from verse 21, just to get the context again. And we'll read 21 till 24. And then at the end, verse 33 as well. Here now the words of the living God. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you will agree with me that nowhere is it more difficult to be a Christian than at home. And nowhere is it more important to be a Christian than at home. At home is where you are your true self. At church, at growth groups, or between our fellowship together, it's easy to wear a mask. It's easy to show our friendlier side, our patience with other people. But as we go home, there the masks fall off. Like one commentator said, when the slippers come on, the masks come off. Okay, that's, that's a picture for you. And that's why you will find it such a challenge to be a Christian at home, because you have your own sin full heart to deal with. You have the devil and his schemes to deal with, which is passionately against families, Christian marriages. And you have the failures and the sins of other members of the family as well, contributing to this messy relationship called marriage and family. But beloved, listen to me. God cares about your family, about your marriage. And this is good news. He cares more for your marriage than you do. He cares more for your children than you do. So even that family, that family, your family that I'm thinking of, or you're thinking of, that family, God is interested in that. God cares for that. Family is God's idea. It wasn't our idea. He designed it. He made us and he designed us to function in a certain role. When he made everything, everything was complementing each other. He made the sun and the moon, the day and the night, the land and the sea, male and female. 
We read in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There won't be an outline. Sorry, I forgot to mention. So it is the male and female standing ne- next to each other that shows us the fullness of the image of God. We need both. If you only had Adam, you, something was missing in the image of God. We need both male and female, this beautiful complementary dance to show us the image of God, a snapshot of what God is like. But I don't know what the current state of your family looks like, but the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you this evening. Why? Because this is his word. This is his word to you. If you are single, if you're not in a relationship, don't switch off. The very least you can take away from a a wife's submission to her husband is to have an understanding of what the church is to do to Christ. So even if you are not married and will never get married, this is still applicable to you because this is going to show your, this is, this is have to reflect your attitude to Jesus. Okay. And especially for you who are either dating or getting engaged or thinking of marriage, this is very important for you to take note to already now start preparing yourselves for marriage in this way as well. But before we go into the text, let me give you one word of warning about our various marital rules, which is a very easy temptation as we start looking at the, at the rules. The, the temptation for husbands in this sermon is to put their proverbial elbow into their wife's thigh or side. And say, I hope you're listening to what Pastor Rion is saying. Okay. For the wife's temptation is to listen and say, okay, I'll just wait for next week. I know next week I'm biting the bullet today. Next week, my husband's going to get it and he's going to get two. <laughs> okay. So, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll patiently wait. But all jokes aside, let me be frank. If you're thinking like that, that's sinful. That's sinful. We shouldn't come to our roles thinking of the other person. We should come to our roles thinking, Lord, where do I fail? As a husband, as a wife. Because isn't that, that was the first thing Adam did. When God wanted to hold him accountable... Right, the famous stating uh, statement. Adam, did you eat of the tree that I command you not to eat? What did he say? Lord, if you just didn't give me this wife, if you just didn't make Eve, right? It, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have fill in the blank. That's wrong. No. Again, when God came to Eve, Lord, the serpent. You see, it's, it's our, now in our sinful state, our natural temptation is not to think of our sin, our failure, but to keep on thinking of the other person's failure, the other person's sin. And guess what? No one can grow. No one can repent. No one, you can't repent for other people's sins. You can only repent for your sins, your failures. And the Lord often uses that to affect change in your spouse or in your, in your, yeah, in your spouse. So open your heart this this evening for the spirit to search you, to open up your heart that he might bring true grace, true forgiveness, and true healing into your heart. Families are ruined when we are focused on the performance of other members and not on our own. And this might be a very freeing idea, is that one day God's not going to judge you 
for how your husband fulfilled his role or how you as a wife fulfill your role, but only for your role, right? Sorry, I missed, I messed that up. God's only going to judge you for your role, not for your spouse's role. That's the point. So think about that. And today we'll focus on the wife's role, and then we'll go to the husband's. And, but we're also, also going to look a little bit at the husband's role because the, the roles overlap a little bit. Because when it says wives should submit to their own husbands because he is the head of the wife, it overlaps with his role. So we are going to touch on that. But look at, just look back at verse 21. And this, is where, this is where Paul starts this sentence. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he immediately moves on to the different relationships in family and in, in life where there's submission and authority. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. In chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. You see, so in three relationships, Paul is going to show how being filled with the Holy Spirit should influence your marriage, your parenting, and your work life. Now, if you take all three of those things away, there's almost nothing left. <laughs> marriage, parenting, work life, okay, then sleeping maybe. <laughs> okay, but, right, but you see, so Paul says submitting to one another, and then he explains in three areas how that submission looks like. But Paul doesn't just focus on those who have to submit. He also focuses on those who have authority, but what they need to do in submission to Christ. So husbands ought not to be harsh with their wives, but to tenderly love their wives, right? Fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, slaves are to respect their, their masters and work diligently as for the Lord and not for men. And the master should not treat them harshly and unjustly. And what is at stake here? Beloved, what is at stake in our marriages? It's not just a happy marriage or a sad marriage. It is, what is at stake is a true picture of the gospel itself. That's what Paul is going. Look at verse 32 quickly, chapter 5. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why should you be passionate about marriage? Or at least, right, biblical marriage, in, as it described in the Bible, because marriage, the way a husband fulfills his role, the way a wife fulfills her role, is going to either point to Christ and his, his relationship with us or point away from him. How will children know that Jesus loves them? When they see how daddy love, loves mommy. Why? Because that is the picture of Christ's love for the church. You see, and I think parents get this wrong. We, we teach our children, Jesus loves you. But they don't see it in the way daddy treats mommy. So, what are, so the, often when those children grow up, even with the best education, even with the best Sunday schools, because their dad didn't love their moms, they abandoned the faith. They saw it as hypocritical, as fake. Now, we can apply that to marriage. Wives, how will your wife, husbands, how will your wife know that Jesus loves her? By looking at your love. Looking at your, the way you treat her, your tenderness, your sacrificial love, your leadership. It's, it's going to be a foretaste of Jesus' love for her as well. Right? How will children know that Jesus is worthy of respect 
submission and obedience. When they see how mommy submits to daddy and how mommy respects daddy. Again, children can see that and see, wow, okay, that's probably how worthy Jesus is of submission and respect. And again, when a husband feels that submission from his wife, that respect from his wife, that should encourage him to see that's how he should give himself to Christ and submit himself to Christ. So do you see this marriage, this family is not just, we can't just throw it away. This is a, this is the gospel is at stake. The gospel is being preached through our marriages or it's being distorted through our marriages. Do you see how serious this is? So that you would not contradict the gospel with your marriage, that your marriage would reflect the very words you say as well. So we're only going to focus two words. For the wives, two words that the scripture teach us is submit and respect. Those are your two words you have to focus on. So the first key word for a wife is submit. You can't miss it. Verse 22 and verse 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands. And it's one of those teachings which the Bible isn't unclear about. Might be difficult, but it's not difficult to understand. Okay? Let me read a few more. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. 1 Peter 3, one of my favorite passages um, for both wives and husbands, says, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. P Peter knows how men works, or you could say God knows how men works, not being won over with many words. But it's beautiful what this text says is, how do you win your husband? Even the husband that does not obey the word, that's a.k.a. bad husband, not a good husband. How do you win him over? By submitting, by still respecting him. That is attractive to men. When a man sees that, when he feels his wife's respect, even when he's just failed horribly, and he still feels his wife's adoration and respect and support. Nothing encourages a man more to be a man than a wife that respects him and submits to him. So we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later as well. How, what to do when a husband is not respectable? How, what do you do then? How do you respect a man that's not respectable? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the moment we're talking about the word submit... and. We have a problem here when we come to the word submit is because the moment we hear the word submit, we immediately have a thousand images in our minds of probably what it does not mean, right? We immediately infuse it with either what we've heard our culture say that this means instead of allowing the Bible to shape our understanding of submission. That's what we need. So we need the Bible to fill in our definition of submitting and our definition of headship. For the men as well. What does true biblical headship look like? But let's just make observations of the text. And I think even with these observations, it might already be liberating for many of you. First, the first observation, the text is plain that a wife only has to submit to her own husband. It's right there. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to whom? 
your own husbands. Women are not to submit to all men or to every man, only to her own husband that she freely chose to marry. And that's why it's important to choose wisely. Right? Choose wisely. So single people, don't make the standard for a man so low that any truffleness or any, I don't know what we can call these people, <laughs> can climb over that bar and suddenly you're taken, but you're taken by a bad man, right? <laughs> Sorry for that word. I hope you understand. Lost in translation. <laughs> Nothing makes a boy quicker a man than when you raise the standards. Okay, when you can, you know, tie your shoelaces and when you can do a few things, then we'll talk again, right? Zeal, energy, suddenly, masculinity channeled. <laughs> but that's the first observation, right, is submit only to your own husband. Secondly, this is so obvious, the command is given to wives, not to husbands. It doesn't say husbands ensure that your wife submits to you. It says wives submit. What is the implication of that? It is something a wife is responsible for, not her husband. A husband should never enforce his wife to submit to him. To submit is something you must freely do out of the freedom of your heart, by the power of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean a husband can never talk to his wife about her submission. That is important. Why? Because husbands love her wife, his wife, as Christ loved the church. How many times did Jesus have to deal with our unsubmissiveness? <laughs> okay, many, probably daily, right? But again, a husband's love would talk to his wife, but not enforce his wife. It's something a wife needs to do. Thirdly, it is something primarily done for the Lord's sake, not for the husband's sake. It's something done primarily for the Lord's sake and not for the husband's sake. Look at verse 21 again. It says, we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Literally, the Greek, out of fear for Christ. Fear Christ. Who gave you that head? It's not ultimately you. It's the Lord. What the God joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is a God institution. So your deepest motivation for submission is your reverence for Christ. Your submission as a wife is not something done just because your husband is a man or male. No, rather look above your husband. See the Lord Jesus above him commanding you to submit to him. Do you see? Your ultimate allegiance is not to your husband. Your ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus himself. And because you trust him, you, you submit to your husband. You joyfully obey. So here's the key question we need to answer. Should you submit to and respect a man that is not respectable? So let's deal with that question. Should you submit to a man that's not respectable? Should you fulfill your role as a wife even when your husband's not fulfilling his role? Answer is yes. Because you are not submitting to him because of him. You're not submitting to him because he is worthy. You're submitting to him because Christ is worthy. Your focus is not on your husband and all of his failures. Guess what? You're going to find a lot of it. If you really want to find failure, you're going to find it, okay? But your focus is on Christ, your perfect husband, your perfect Lord, your Savior, your King. 
And of course, there are times when you have to get out of a marriage that is either physically abusive or where there's unrepentant sexual immorality. The scriptures give us room for divorce and remarriage as well. There are exceptions, but the exceptions merely prove the rule. The rule is submit even to an unworthy husband, even to one who doesn't merit your respect. And that leads us to the, the next observation. The wife's submission is to be total, is to be total. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, as you would submit to Christ, so you submit to your husband with a similar attitude, similar attitude of how you would respect and submit to the Lord. That's how you respect and submit to your husband. And look at verse 24, just down. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands, to their husbands, right? So that in everything, there's no area where submission should not be practiced. And submission is not firstly something you do. It is an attitude of your heart towards your husband. William Googe, a Puritan who wrote extensively on the family, wrote this. He says, by this, the Holy Spirit teach, would teach wives that submission ought to be as salt to season every duty which they perform to their husband. Their very thought, feeling, speech, action, and all that concerns the husband must taste of submission. Right? Everything, the way you speak, the way you, the way you treat him, the way you talk about him must taste like submission. Okay, here's the last observation is that a wife's submission is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. A wife's submission is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the context of, of this marital rules. Remember when we read submitting to one another, that comes from verse 18. Just look up above to verse 18 when it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What is the result of being filled with the Spirit is addressing one another, singing, giving thanks, submitting to one another. So a wife that's filled with the Spirit is a wife that respects and submits to her husband. So wives, let me encourage you for a moment. You cannot do this. Are you encouraged? You need supernatural power, supernatural strength to obey these commands. This is not something you muster up with your willpower, with your strength, with your abilities. No, this is something that you must, as you are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, this will be one of the results of being filled with the Spirit, is that you would gladly submit. So again, that's another test to take if you are walking by the Spirit or walking according to the flesh for both husbands and wives. Right, if you are resisting your, your husband's authority, criticizing him, not respecting him, then you are far from the Lord. Husbands, if you are lazy, if you're passive, if you don't want to love, you don't want to stand up and serve or lead or take authority, you're far from the Lord. You're not walking in step with the Spirit. So this is the result of being filled with the Spirit. And the reason why this is impossible without the Spirit is because from the fall, all the daughters of Eve have been cursed with this attitude of Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.16 says this, To the women he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. All the mothers say, Amen. Okay. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
But then this next phrase, which is, I don't think many of us understand, it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What does that mean? Well, I just turned to the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, where the same phrase is used in a different context. Listen to this. God is speaking to Cain, and he says, if you would do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The same phrase used of the woman's curse is now used of sin. Sin is desiring you, Cain, but you must rule over it. So that's a clue to what this means. And what it means is this. Sin's desire for Cain is this, to control Cain, to dominate Cain, to rule over him. But Cain will rule over sin or must rule over it in the sense of forcefully put it down, violently put it down. Otherwise, sin will destroy you. Now, do you see the curse? This is the curse of our family tensions, our marital tensions. What is the wife's temptation in marriage? What is toxic femininity? Is this to dominate, to want to dominate her husband, to want to have authority over her husband, to not want to follow her husband? Or when a husband exercises legitimate Christ-like authority and then to call that toxic masculinity? That's actually the example of toxic femininity, right? And what is the husband's temptation? Is to harshly rule with their wives, is to put them down violently, or on the other extreme, to enjoy his wife ruling the house, because he's going to play his video games. Go ahead. I have, I have in, I'm going to enjoy myself all alone, right? That's to both of them. So when a woman desires that, criticizes her husband and wants to rule over her husband, she actually kills his masculinity. She's busy killing him as a man. And when a husband is harsh on his wife, uses his strength on top of his wife instead of for his wife, he's actually destroying her beautiful, glorious femininity. You see, but that's the tension now in our marriages. Our sin is making us destroy one another instead of helping one another to fulfill our various roles. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to control us. And guess what you get when you put two sinners in one home? Okay, sin. <laughs> that's what's going to happen when, when a, a, you put a husband sinner and a wife sinner and you get those children, like no doubt, sinners. Okay, put them all in one bunch, one home, Guess what you get? But beloved, that's why Jesus came. He came not just to die for your sins that you have to struggle on with your life and your heart. He came, listen, to restore you. To restore your femininity. To restore your masculinity. To restore you back to what you were originally intended to be. To fulfill. You see, it's interesting that if Genesis 3 was talking about Submission and um, authority as a curse, Paul would not have written this chapter like this to say, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, you are the head of the wife. Instead, it's enforced, but now it's redeemed. Instead of it falling away, it is now reinstituted by grace as Christ redeems us. And that's what Jesus wants for you, wives, women. Don't allow the world to tell you what a woman is. Allow Jesus to tell you what a woman is. And embrace that. Embrace it. Embrace Jesus. And he will redeem you and change you. 
Now, let me make a few clarifications of what submission does not mean and then also what it does mean. First clarification, a wife submits to her husband as her equal. A wife submits to her husband as her equal. And that's, a, that's one of the things that when you hear the word submit, immediately we're tempted to think that it means the one is inferior to the other. And that's not what it means. Well, how do we know that? Jesus submitted to the Father. Case closed, right? Does this, is the son less worth than the father? No, yet they have different roles within the Trinity. Get this, if you're really not convinced yet, Jesus submitted to his parents as a child. Is Jesus now suddenly inferior to his parents? May it never be. That's blasphemy, right? Yet he submitted. Why? Because that was his role as a child. In the same way, wives, when you are submitting to your husband, it doesn't mean you're inferior. That's your role. Here's a second clarification. Submission doesn't mean that a woman or a wife never opens her mouth. Right? Some sinful, proud, demonic, selfish men think that because I'm the head and you have to submit, that means I have to give you permission to speak. I have to give you permission to talk. And until I do that, you can't speak. You can even hear just from that, right, how unchristlike that is. But that's so far from the truth. Proverbs 31, 26, I love this proverb. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Oh, husbands, you would know this, right? If we didn't have the wisdom of our wives, we'd be dead. <laughs> okay, we, we're not going to make it, right? So husbands, your chief counselor, your chief helper, your chief thinker is your wife. Not even me as your pastor, you should first run to your husband or your wife for advice and for counsel. Her ideas should be worth gold to you. So again, I want to, especially for the husbands here, I want you to do this. Today, as you drive back home, ask your wife the following question. Do you feel completely free, completely free, without any fear to tell me what you really think? Or is there some part of you that is holding back, maybe because of my, my nonverbal communication, maybe I'm just generally taking it very hard when you correct me? Have that conversation. Do you have any fear, or do you feel completely free to just speak to me whatever on your heart? Or do you feel there's certain things of your heart you have to keep back you have to just struggle on on your own because you know if I share this with my husband. So that's something I want to test. So a woman, that submission doesn't mean don't talk to your husband. Don't correct your husband. We need that. Husbands need a wife's correction, a wife's rebuke sometimes. But that's important, right? Third clarification. Submission doesn't mean that the wife is a slave and the husband does nothing. Okay, so here we get to the misunderstanding of what it means that the husband is the head of his wife. Look at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, again, who's the model of headship? It's not a movie. <laughs> or your friends, or anybody else, it's Christ. Christ is the model of what headship looks like. How did he exercise his authority over us? Well, first he hanged on a tree 
for us. See, so headship firstly is this sacrificial, I will die for you by washing the dishes. Okay? <laughs> you see, men often want to die in the big things. Like, can you just help me with the towel? Picking up the towel first. That would just be great if you can start there. But again, Christ's love is full of sacrificial love. Headship means you have the authority to be your family's greatest servant. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give. Husbands, headship means that after a long, hard day of work, you have the authority to come home and say, my job only began. Now my job starts. My family, my wife. Take a 10-minute break, take a shower, but... Have that attitude, that mindset, I'm here to serve, I'm here to give. And until you feel that feeling like, but I can't just give and give and give, I'm going to literally die, it feels like I'm dying. Well done. Now you're getting it. Right? You have the right, as a head of the home, to be the most tired of the family when you climb into your bed. To feel the most tired after you have given yourself away to your wife and your children. Headship means, like the head, that every decision you make is for the body, right? The head, everything the head does is for the good of your wife and your children. It's not for your own selfish pleasures, selfish comforts, selfish ambitions on the side, and your wife and your children has to pick up the slack. Headship is, how can I rule? How can I manage that my wife is flourishing spiritually and my children are flourishing spiritually? that they are seeing Christ more and more, even if I'm struggling to get to my time and my, my little hour or whatever I want. Just make your family the priority. Headship means God knocks at the door and asks, where is the man of the house? And if something is wrong in your family, husbands, do something about it. That's what it means. And I, I know some of you have felt this. Sometimes when I'm frustrated with something in my family, like something's not happening, my first thought is, Deborah, why aren't you doing this? Now, I'm conf- this is confession time, okay? I'm also a sinner, saved by grace. But instead, at, when that moment comes and I think, why isn't my wife helping? Why isn't my wife doing these things that I wanted to do? I'm like, well, I haven't even communicated to her. I'm a bad communicator. I'm not delegating. I'm not leading by example. I'm not... So, Rian, stop being lazy. Start, go, do something about it. Stop waiting for something to happen. Do it. That's what headship means. So, you, so, husbands, listen, you do have legitimate authority, right? There is legitimate authority to lead, to rule and govern your home, but it's for your wife's best interest, for your children's best interest. It doesn't mean you have to do less now. It means often you have to do more. That's what it means. So submission doesn't mean a wife serves as a slave. No, she uses her talents and gifts. Okay, we're rushing ahead. But here's the fourth thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that a wife's talents, abilities, and gifts have to now lie dormant. Or she's just wasting her abilities, wasting her gifts. No. Again, some women are beasts at finances. Okay, and if your wife is a beast at the finances, what is a wise head going to do? Delegate to that financial beast 
to grow the wealth of your family. Do you see? Because again, you're thinking about, you're like, if you think about traditional way of thinking, like husbands mean I have to deal with the finance. Now, if you are more gifted in finances, go for it, right? But some women are just better. They're just smarter and better in that. And then what does a wise head do? He delegates to her. He still oversees it. He still has the final authority, but he delegates that to his wife. So again, women, submission doesn't mean letting your gifts die. Use your gifts for your family, for your husband. Proverbs 31, a woman, a perfect example of a woman that is biblical, right? She has a business. <laughs> she, she took great care of her family. But here's the big difference between Proverbs 31 and secular feminism, and it's this. Everything the Proverbs 31 wife did, she did for her husband and for her children. Where secular femin feminism tells you, no, do that just for yourself. Even if your husband hates it, even if your husband doesn't appreciate it, just be yourself. Don't let anybody tell you to use your gifts for him. That's, that's wrong. That's sinful. Proverbs 31, she uses her gifts, she uses her abilities for her husband, for her family. Fifth, submission doesn't mean that a wife is obligated to do everything her husband says. What is the exception? When a husband commands his wife to sin or to, do, or, or to not obey God's commands. Then Hebrews 5 verse 29 says, I want to submit, but I must obey God rather than man. I can't submit to you in this. So I hope those observations, I hope those clarifications just gives the biblical idea of what this means. And we're going to quickly rush through this. Um, what then does submission look like? Well, think of the church's relationship to Jesus. There is the model. The church's relation to Jesus. How does that look like? Well, first, it's a, it's a joyful submission. It's joyful. Submission is a matter of the heart before it's a matter of your will and your duties. Submission means like a wife would never, or like a church would never command Christ to do something, wives never command their husbands to do something. That's also wrong, right? The church shouldn't criticize or they, they don't disrespect the Lord. And so wives shouldn't criticize and disrespect her husband. She can share the disagreements. She doesn't, the church doesn't contradict Christ's words. And so a wife doesn't, shouldn't agree with her husband in public. And then when the husband leaves, she disagrees with him in private. That often happens with the children, especially, right? The dad says, this is how we're going to do it. This is what, it, what it's supposed to look like. Everybody agrees. The husband leaves and the, the wife says, don't worry, you don't have to do that. Right? Daddy is gone. Don't worry. He's just a bit strict. That's not, that's not submission. Okay, let's close our time with the second word right, is respect. Let's look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Doug Wilson has been very helpful to me with this practically. How does respect look like? What is respect? Respect is this. Tell your husband what you admire about him, his abilities and his achievements. That's what it is. Tell him how smart he is, how good he is with the car, and what you appreciate about him, how good, just how good he is. Okay, now I know the temptation, what you're hearing there is really like, but that, that's not what it's about. It's about our relationship. It's not about what he does and what he does well. It's about our relationship. 
Well, that just reveals you're a woman. <laughs> that just reveals that you don't understand men. Men thrive on a compliment. Well done. Good job. Wow, I'm impressed by how you did that. Respect. You see, men thrive on respect. Women thrive on love. That's why women often want love and appreciation and attention. And men often just want respect. But you see, what we do is we swap it around. Men often give, are good at giving their wives respect. Yeah, I respect. I really respect that woman. But you don't want to be with her. You don't love her. And wives are often good at loving their husbands, but awful at respecting their husbands. Why? Again, because we're sinful. But again, that's what I want to say is, listen, this is what men thrive on. Respect. Tell him how smart he is. Tell him what he does well. Tell him what you appreciate about him. And again, even if there's nothing you respect about him, respect him if only for the position that God has given him. When a, when a police officer pulls you over, right, you don't ask the police officer, did you have your quiet time this morning? And he says, what's that? Okay, I'm not, I'm not respecting you. I'm, I'm out of here. Because I can't respect the officer that doesn't even love the Lord, right? No, you look at the badge and you're like, okay, it's, it's an officer. Whether he's a good man or a bad man, I have to respect him for the office, for the position. The same thing. Wives, respect your husband for the position God has given him. And here's the thing. Here's what makes this so beautiful. Giving respect bestows respectability. When you respect a man, even when he's not respectable, it encourages a man to be a respectable man. Nothing encourages him more than this. The same thing with the husband and the wife. If a husband loves his wife, she becomes lovely. Love bestows lovability or loveliness. Okay? And just as a practical example, um, and especially mothers, if mothers are trying to teach their children how to respect their dads, right? Uh, Imagine the dad goes on a, uh, a working trip or anything, and the daughter wants to write a little note you know, what does the daughter often say, right? She's speaking in the language of love. Say, Dad, I'm going to miss you. I love you so much, Dad. I want you to be back as soon as possible, right? Now, that's love, but the mother should say, no, 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 darling, not like that. You should respect your dad. Say rather, Dad, thank you for working so hard for our family. Dad, I really respect you for how you are treating mommy, and I'm thankful for you, right? Just that, that respect, and some of you might know this, like, I can live on a compliment for two weeks. <laughs> Deborah just tells me one time, like, Rian, thank- you, you do this so well. I'm like, I'm the best husband. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but here's the, sad, here's the sad part. Often husbands are famished. Famished because their wives never, no, my husband knows I respect him. He knows. I don't have to tell him. No, that, again, husbands, we need to hear that. We need to hear your words. What I appreciate about you, thank you for doing that. I respect you for this. And that, again, bestows respectability. And so let's make this our simple aim, that as we look to Christ, that we would follow Christ, even in this difficult area of marriage, by being filled with the Spirit. Rely on Him. Wives, rely on the Spirit. 
Trust in Christ. Trust in his wisdom. Do not rely on your own understanding. Trust in him with all your heart and obey him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you for revealing this to us. Lord, we know because of our sin, because of the fall, that there is marital tensions in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, and how the world has so distorted, so twisted what biblical femininity and biblical masculinity looks like. Oh Lord, I pray that we would look away from all of these things, look away even from ourselves and look to the Lord Jesus, Him who has died for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect example of what it means to love a woman. But also, Lord, as you submit to the Father, how it looks like to submit in joy. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you and we desire you. We desire to become more like you. And I pray for the marriages in our church and I pray for the marriages that are here present or I pray, Father, that you would heal the broken marriages. You would restore us, Lord. And that we would look to you above all, Lord, not to our marriages primarily, but to you primarily for our love and our affection and our security and our, our joy. Lord, we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.